Hello, my name is Oscar de Leon Casasola. I'm a professor of anesthesiology and medicine and the senior vice chair at the Department of Anesthesiology at the University at Buffalo and the chief of pain medicine and professor of oncology at the Roswell Park Cancer Institute. The title of this podcast is Initial Approaches to Pain Management, Assessment and Risk Factor Identification. The learning objectives for this session will be to identify the appropriate issues in pain assessment and the evaluation of potential risk factors for abuse and opioid use disorder or addiction. So let's get started. In patients with chronic pain, evaluating the history of pain is critical to establish a clear diagnosis. This is particularly true in patients with chronic low back pain because there are several conditions that may lead to it. Consequently, having a roadmap, so to speak, is important so that no important questions are missed in this evaluation. For the history, I um, use the acronym ALICIA. A is for appearance. When did the pain first appear? What were you doing uh, at that time? L for localization. Where is the pain localized? I for intensity. And I use the numeric pain intensity scale that goes from zero to 10, where zero is no pain, 10 is the worst imaginable pain. Character, description of the pain, so that you can determine if the pain is somatic, visceral, or neuropathic. We'll go into that in a little bit. Irradiation of the pain. Where does the pain go uh, to the leg? Does it go to an arm, etc.? And then A for a leave. What does relieve the pain? What are you, what is the patient taking uh, currently for the management of this pain, or what strategies is he or she using? So, as I mentioned, for the pain assessment, there are several scales. I recommend the uh, zero to ten numeric pain intensity scale, but uh, as I mentioned, the other ones are just as useful as long as you utilize them in subsequent evaluations. For the character of the pain, as I mentioned, it will help you to determine if the pain is somatic, uh, neuropathic, or visceral. For instance, if the pain is somatic, also known as mechanical in low back pain, the pain descriptors will be sharp, aching, sore, or tender. Neuropathic pain will be associated with pulsing, throbbing, shooting, stabbing, burning, or tingling sensations in the affected area. And that there is an assessment tool that I will be talking uh, to you about in order to uh, improve the probability of you making a diagnosis of neuropathic components called the D as in David, N as in Nancy, 4. And then uh, the probability of having mixed pain is also a uh, possibility, particularly when dealing with patients with low back pain. Lastly, visceral pain. Uh, is associated with descriptors as cramping, pressing, crushing, or wrenching. This is particularly important because there are questions about the presence of visceral pain in patients with low back pain due to disc disease. So in establishing a differential diagnosis, then if the patient is axial, that is to say in the midline, then you will have to be thinking about problems with the vertebral uh, bones for instance, osteoporotic fractures, uh, which will be associated with somatic pain descriptors. Uh, disc disease, such as internal 
disc disruption, again, associated with somatic pain descriptors, but also, as I mentioned, there may be visceral pain descriptors in some patients. And then, uh, of course, the uh, disc interface um, uh, degeneration that may be associated with somatic pain descriptors as well. If the pain is a little bit off the midline, then you think facet arthropathy with somatic pain descriptors. And uh, since the synovium of this joint may actually produce central sensation, you may have neuropathic components as well. Uh, muscle pain will be also associated with it. Uh, myofascial pain, I'll talk, touch on that in a little bit. Or uh, fatty degeneration of the multifidus muscles uh, will result in somatic pain des descriptors. And they also may uh, have some neuropathic uh, components due to centralization. Myofascial pain is uh, well known to produce these changes. There may be also ligament straining with somatic pain descriptors or sacroiliac joint dysfunction with somatic pain descriptors. Uh, as far as neuropathic pain, we know that this herniation with, with uh, nerve root compression will produce neuropathic pain descriptors. Remember that if the herniation does not reach the dorsal root ganglion, there will be no pain, but you will have motor deficit in these patients. And then of course, mixed pathology like in-spinal stenosis, which uh, you will likely find somatic and neuropathic pain descriptors. So this is why having a roadmap is important because with this information, you, you may start beginning to think where the problem is and direct your uh, physical examination to that area. As far as the uh, muscle pain, myofascial pain, longissimus thoracis, iliocostalis lumborum, and multifidus muscles are uh, the structures that are likely to be involved and as a result of that, evaluation of these structures will be critical in the, these patients. A condition that I particularly pay attention to is the piriformis muscle syndrome. They are the uh, trigger points in the gluteal area. And uh, since in 20 to 30% of the patients, the sciatic nerve runs through the two bellies of the muscle, contraction of this muscle will result of uh, irradiation of the pain down the leg, mimicking a, uh, a sciatica problem. So uh, keep in mind uh, this fact in the evaluation of a patient. Uh, as far as specific evaluation of nerve roots in patients with low back pain, you will need to determine where the area of the pain with the caveat again, that if the uh, pathology affecting the nerve root is proximal to the dorsal root ganglion, there will be no pain. But uh, let's just assume that this is the case. In the L4 uh, pathology, you will have a uh, irradiation uh, of the pain from the lateral hip area to the knee and then in the anterior portion of the leg. There's going to be uh, extension of quadriceps uh, weakness. And as a result of that, the screening exam will show weakness in the squatting and rising activity. And patients will have a... Um, patellar reflex uh, decrease in the face of this problem. For the L5 uh, radiculopathy, there is going to be pain uh, starting in the, in the back and then irradiating down to the foot uh, via the lateral aspect of the leg. There's going to be dorsiflexion of uh, grade two 
toe and foot weakness. And as a result of that, the screening exam will be inability to perform heel walking. There is not deep tendon reflex anomaly in these patients. And uh, as far as the S1 uh, nerve root, there will be pain uh, irradiating down to the uh, leg and the foot right in the middle of um, uh, the posterior aspect of it. Um, there will be more weakness in the plantar flexion of the great toe and the foot. And as a result of that, the patient will not be able to walk on uh, uh, his or her uh, tiptoes. And that uh, there's gonna be Achilles reflex tendon decrease. So with this evaluation, the history and the physical examination, you can actually determine where the problem is. There is also uh, functional capacity evaluation, the Oswestry, O-S-W-E-S-T-R-Y scale. And uh, this will give you the ability not only to evaluate the pain, but also psychosocial functioning that uh, will be very useful because since a score is generated, you will be able to determine the progress of the patient with the prescribed therapy. So very important to include a functional capacity like this in your evaluation. I have talked about the DN4, the David and Nancy 4 questionnaire for the diagnosis of um, uh, neuropathic pain. Uh, bottom line is that if uh, in a 10 question uh, evaluation, the patient scores from zero to three, to three there is uh, a low likelihood of neuropathic pain. And uh, in contrast, if the score is equal or greater than four, there's gonna be a high likelihood of neuropathic pain. The sensitivity is 83%. The specificity is 90% for neuropathic pain. Once you have found what is the diagnosis, if opioids are indicated in the management of these patients, it is critically important to have as part of your treatment strategy an appropriate risk assessment. And uh, this must be done on an ongoing basis during the treatment of the patient with opioids. The opioid risk tool is a brief validated screening tool designed for use in adults in the primary care setting to assess the risk for potential opioid abuse in those being treated for chronic pain. And there is something that I use in my practice. Patients who are classified as high risk are more likely to indulge in abusive drug-related behaviors. The test is easily administered and can be scored in less than one minute, and it has been validated in both male and female uh, individuals. So for instance, there are uh, uh, five categories, family history of substance abuse, personal history of substance abuse, age, a history of pre-adolescent sexual abuse, and psychological disease, such as bipolar disorders, schizophrenia, depression, uh, attention deficit disorders. So for instance, if a male individual has a family history of substance abuse, say alcohol, that will give him a score of three points. And if this same patient has a history of uh, marijuana use, that will give him a score of four. So that's seven points. Then if the patient is less than 45 years old, that will give him an extra point. So you can see how very easily patients can reach an area of moderate to high risk. And as a result of that, you know, special um, 
evaluation and ongoing um, surveillance will be needed. Now, I have to tell you that uh, a high score does not mean that the patient is not a candidate for opioid therapy. It only means that special precautions need to be implemented. You will have to do um, a uh, pill count on a regular basis. You will have to do a urine tox screening on a regular basis, etc. If the practitioner is not comfortable prescribing opiates for this type of patients, then uh, a referral to a pain specialist or to an addiction specialist is indicated. If the decision to prescribe an opiate is made on the other hand, then an informed consent and a pain agreement must be signed by the patient and risk management strategies must be implemented. This is critically important, is one of the factors that the Office of Professional Medical Conduct in your state will, uh, will be looking for. And for the informed consent, I suggest that you Google the word American Academy of Pain Medicine, informed consent, and then you will have a sample. And the same thing is uh, done for uh, a provider agreement where uh, you can go to drugabuse.gov, uh, sample patient provider agreement, where uh, a, a um, form will be uh, provided for you so that you can give it to your patients on a regular basis. So in summary, pain therapeutic success starts with a good diagnosis. Documenting the different elements of pain is critical to determine the source of the pain and as a result, the type of treatment that you will be implementing. Low back pain is a term that encompasses several pathologies which may need different therapeutic approaches. Consequently, it's important to have a specific diagnosis. Is it the muscle? Is it the vertebra? Is it the, uh, the joint? Opiates are not indicated in all patients, but will be effective in some of the underlying conditions leading to low back pain. Assessing the risk of opiate misuse, abuse, and overdose is critical prior to prescribing them, and establishing a risk management strategy for high-risk patients is critical to help them manage potential problems. And with that, I thank you for your attention, and I hope you have enjoyed this podcast. Thank you.